1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the show about science. This is your host, Nate. Today, we're going to tackle a question. Are we alone in the universe? That's a big question. So let's look to the stars and try to understand how it might be possible to find life on another world in another solar system. Okay. Should we uh, call them?
2: At Creek Radio Observatory, this is Well speaking.
1: Hi, Well, this is Nate.
2: <laughs> yeah, hi Nate. How are you?
1: Uh I'm good. So should we just start up the episode?
2: Uh we can, yeah.
1: Uh alright. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure, sure. So my name is Well. I am a postdoctoral researcher at the SETI Institute. And I work on the refurbishment program of the Allen Telescope Array, um, a radio interferometer located in Northern California.
1: So why did you decide that this was the career you wanted to choose?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I was probably maybe your age, Nate, and I just loved space. That was it. I would you know, go outside on a, you know, starry night, look at the stars and say, you know, this is what I want to study. And, you know, thankfully I was good in math and physics. Probably that's what I was only good at at school, right? I I, I wasn't good at anything else. All I could do at school is do math and physics. And so um, that was my luck there because um, I actually enjoyed the science, but I was also good at it. And so I just decided to go
1: for it. What is the Allen Telescope Array?
2: Yeah, um, so the Allen Telescope Array is a collection of 42 six meter dishes. So so every single station or every single um, antenna is six meters in diameter. Um, They are fully steerable. In other words, they can track and slew on the sky. And yeah, it's an interferometer. So an interferometer is an instrument that you can combine together. to simulate or to emulate a big dish, right? So it's a collection of small dishes that once you combine them together, they behave like a single big dish.
1: So what is the purpose of the telescope that you work at?
2: So the main science driver is to perform SETI. So SETI stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and that involves collecting data and searching it in such a way that would be sensitive to a um, advanced extraterrestrial civilization. But also the telescope is really good in doing other stuff, like the search for fast radio bursts, for example. I can talk about what fast radio bursts are, if you want, at some point later, um, or you know the study of pulsars, for example. So yeah, so there's a collection of science um, projects that one can do on the instrument, but the main one is SETI.
1: Uh, all right. So, yeah, what are those radio bursts?
2: So, uh, fast radio bursts are a class of objects or a class of transients. That's how we call them. A transient is something that, um, you know, you'll be looking at the sky, everything seems blank, and at some point something pops up and it goes blank again. So, it's like a small thing that shines for a few milliseconds and disappears. So, a fast radio burst is a millisecond-wide, super bright, and super energetic bursts that we happen to see in our sky, um, in the radio, so they are super bright, super energetic bursts that appear to be coming from halfway through the universe, and they seem interesting in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, so how do you know that uh, some of the things that you're getting aren't just like noise? Or like some... Uh, energy or transmission from a star exploding, or like a gamma ray burst or something like that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, Nate. Um, Our radio sky is heavily contaminated with sources of interference. Mm. So in other words, if you walk around the site here where I'm at, holding a phone, and if your phone is not in airplane mode, your phone will try to contact the station, like the tower, And it would send radio waves, right? Yeah. So some of this radio waves can go into the telescope, and it would um, affect our data, right? Mm -hmm. And it would increase or generate false positives. Now, luckily, I am using an interferometer to do my science. Now, the good thing about an interferometer is that it has multiple elements, and it has multiple sensors, right? It has multiple feeds. So... If, for example, I see a signal in one of the antennas, but I don't see it in the others, you know, I'm not going to get into details here, but I can use the spatial information to discriminate between a signal that's coming from far away compared to something that's really close to the telescope or, you know, in a satellite orbit or something. And so um, I can use the spatial information that I have and the geometric information that I have with the fact that I'm using an interferometer to help me discriminate between you know, a cell phone or, or a GPS satellite or anything that can be, you know, emitting in the radio versus something that comes from, you know, the universe.
1: So, do you personally think that aliens do exist?
2: Uh, I do. Um, but in what form? That's a bigger question, I would say. Um, I can try to answer this question in a you know, scientific and statistical manner. You know, If you just crunch the numbers, the number of stars in our observable universe is pretty much as much as there are sand grains here on Earth. right? So if you just think of these numbers, they're insanely big. And so um, what are the chances that it's only us? who exist in this massive universe. I mean, chances are super low. Yeah. And so um, I do believe that they are there. Like I do believe that there is, you know, that, like the universe is big enough such that it allows it. I guess that's a better way to put it. And yeah, we're still looking.
1: We're still looking. We're still looking. We're still looking. So if you do ever find aliens, what do you think that they would look like? Hmm.
2: I would say they wouldn't look anything like us. You know how in sci-fi movies, aliens are depicted to have, you know, a face and two eyes. and Yeah, like
1: humanoid.
2: Like humanoids, right? But we know that nature doesn't work this way, right? Yeah. I mean, look at the diversity here on Earth, right? We've got, you know, snakes and we've got mammals. And... It's super diverse, even on a planet that should host organisms that are sort of related biologically, um, or at least they are related in their ecosystem. But we see this massive diversity, and so what are the chances that an ET would look similar to, you know, a humanoid or a human-like?
1: About as low as us being alone.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well there you have it. Um so yeah so I can imagine all sorts of things. Um, aliens can have the ability to fly or they can sense the world around them using infrared rather than optical. The universe is so big that you know it's much bigger than my imagination.
1: <laughs> True. So what level aliens on the Kardashev scale do you think we would find? And the Kardashev scale is like one would be able to harness the available energy of their home planet. Two, available to harness the energy of their home star. And three, able to harness the available energy of their uh, home galaxy. Uh, although I think that there might be like four and five, but those are really big.
2: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so what we might find is any of those civilizations that you stated. Um, with the type of searching that we are doing, we should be able to find a civilization that is, I would say, as advanced as we are here on Earth. Um, but I would say a Type 3 civilization would have made itself obvious that it is there, because it's already you know, zipping around the galaxy, and um, it would have at least made itself visible to us in some form or another. So from my personal perspective, a Type three civilization would have been detected by now. Um, as for the Type two and Type I, um, these are where our focus is being put, I would say, mostly, you know, to detect a star that has been covered by a Dyson sphere, for example. So a Dyson sphere is a giant, um, I would say, collection of energy um, absorption devices, I would say, that surround a star such that it can consume the energy of the star. So this is a Dyson sphere. So a type two civilization can do something like that. And so we're currently looking for structures in our data that might have a hint that it's coming from say a Dyson sphere. And we're also looking for leakage or radio emission that comes from, you know, TV stations. For example, let's say aliens communicate over the phone or communicate over, you know, TV or something. So this is another thing we're trying to look for. So these are, you know, for less than type one civilization, but also type one and type two civilizations. As for where I put my bet, that's a hard question.
1: All right. So if you were on another planet in, like, the Alpha Centauri system, for example, how would you see life on Earth?
2: Uh Uh-huh. So that's a really good question, Nate. So being, let's say, on Alpha Centauri, with the technology that we have right now, we will be able to see multiple things. So if I use radio as in radio telescopes, to observe the Earth, I might be able to pick up the radiation that I call the leakage radiation out of Earth. So as we know, um, we've been using communication devices for the last 100 years here on Earth. Yeah. And so um, some of this radiation would leak outside the Earth, right? So you can imagine um, all the songs and all the TV interviews that we've done in the last 100 years, this, <laughs> this information has been leaking outside the Earth.
1: I, I can just like imagine aliens listening to like, The Office or something <laughs> from another planet.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Or Justin Bieber's latest song or something. That would be cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like, ooh, this stuff is so good.
2: <laughs> Makes them want to visit, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
2: So yeah, so this is the type of radiation that I might see from Alpha Centauri. But this is using radio telescopes. If I go and observe the Earth or the solar system, or the Sun solar system, with a optical telescope. I will be able to, one, observe the Earth orbiting the Sun, so I can know that there is a planet that has, you know, a certain mass that is orbiting its Sun, so I can detect that. But I can also start detecting the characteristic of the atmosphere, so I can know that Earth might harbor life just by knowing that there is um, water molecules, for example, in the atmosphere. So I can detect water molecules in the atmosphere of Earth. And so that would allow me to say something about the habitability of Earth. And that's me, you know, being at Alpha Centauri.
1: Uh, and just in case aliens are listening to this episode right now, I'd just like to say to them, uh, hi, we're here. Okay, bye now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, It's hard to come up with these things right off the top of your head. <laughs> I feel bad for whoever will be our first alien diplomat.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, do you think that you're close to finding alien life?
2: I hope we are. Um, as our technology advances, we are always taking you know, the next step. And it's a really hard question to answer, Nate. We might not find anything, right? We might you know, still do this for the next you know, 50 or 100 years and not find anything just because there is no one out there, right? So, yeah, so this all depends if, one, if there is someone out there. And, two, our technology and our um, ways to search for ET And so the the answer to your question is, I don't know, but we're trying hard.
1: All right. So where can people learn more about the work that SETI does? Yeah.
2: um, So the SETI Institute has a website where you can log in or, you know, navigate through. And there is information that you can find in there. You can find information about the Allen Telescope Array, the instrument that I use at the moment. And you can also find information about other activities that the SETI Institute does. This is one way you can do it. You can also um, follow them on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, some of the scientists at the SETI Institute get you know, interviewed, just like what we're doing, uh, me and you here, Nate. But there are um, interviews that get hosted on Facebook or get hosted on Instagram. And so you might be able to tune in to a scientist talking about SETI. And there's also the YouTube channel. Yeah, so just Google it. Everything should pop up.
1: All right. Thank you for being on the show. I hope you find aliens, and I hope they're friendly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Nate. I really appreciate you calling. And um, yeah, you're, you're amazing. I, um, I really enjoyed your episodes. Uh, yeah, you're super impressive.
1: Thanks.
2: <laughs> and yeah, I hope to find aliens too. And yeah, let's keep looking.
1: There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. A big thank you to everyone at SETI for helping me make this interview happen. Our theme song was written by Jeff, Dan, and Teresa Brooks, and additional music on this episode comes from Epidemic Sound. Make sure to visit the ShowAboutScience.com to listen to more episodes. Okay,
0: Dad, you can shut the recording off. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old, and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.